You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and I can't believe that 2024 marks 10 years of podcasting. Over the last decade, I have had the pleasure of talking with hundreds upon hundreds of passionate outdoors men and women who share the same excitement for hunting as I do. Whether you hunt public lands or private property, shoot traditional archery equipment or high-powered rifles, we all have one thing in common. And that's our love for the great outdoors. This year, I plan on continuing that tradition and bringing educational and entertaining content to your ears. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you all have the best seasons of your life. Good vibes in, good vibes out. We're going to kick this episode off in this year off with a big fat woo! Ladies and gentlemen, my friends, children of all ages, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I can't believe that I've been doing this for 10 years. This is, this is ridiculous. 2024, like you heard in the intro, marks 10 years of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And um, man, I've talked with just about everybody just about every name every i don't know i mean obviously i haven't had every hunter on on this podcast but if if you're a somebody in the hunting industry more than likely you've been on the nine finger chronicles podcast um i i have talked i have made excellent friendships at this point throughout my entire in this entire process, this entire journey, I have made really good friends, uh, not only like face-to-face, but digitally. Like I, there's, there's a lot of people who I, I keep in contact with every month, but I've never shook their hand. I've never seen them face-to-face. And I hope that someday in the future, I have the ability to meet anybody who wants to meet me. I am, uh, I'm that kind of person, man. I, I would love that. But uh, it's 2024 and that's a new year. I'd like to say it's a new me, but it's not going to be. It's going to be the same old Dan Johnson, a little rough around the edges. And I I think from the feedback that I get uh, from you guys, you kind of like that. And so we're going to keep grinding here on the Nine Finger Chronicles and we're going to keep going in the right direction. And this year we are going to kick off episode number one of 2024, 2024. I almost said 2024, 2024 with uh, Andrew Muntz. Now, Andrew, he is the host of the uh, Ohio Outdoors podcast. They call it the O2 podcast. And today is kind of a BS session. 
And we talk a lot about rules and regulations. We talk about uh, poaching. We talk about just a whole bunch of different things that are going on right now, hot topics, buzzwords within the hunting community, within the hunting uh, industry. And it's kind of like, uh, where is hunting headed? type of episode and I hopefully that hopefully you guys enjoy that I'm really looking forward to the the the, this new list of content that I have in front of me Uh, I'm going to be addressing it you know hot topics within the hunting industry the same old stories the same old BS sessions but in January I'm kicking off a new series so stay tuned for that if you're subscribed to this feed you will see it it is called the no, or it's going to be called no foreplay, and it's not going to be your typical long episode. It's going to be 10 to 15 minutes long, where we talk about a specific topic, and we're just going to beat it to the ground, and we're gonna we're gonna hammer this topic real hard for about oh 10 15 minutes, and we're gonna hopefully get all 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 bases covered on one specific topic and i hope that makes sense to you it's going to be fun and uh no real intros in that one that's why i call it uh, called it the no foreplay series because we're going to get right into it right no beating around the bush and so um that's what we got going on make sure you guys check out my new company if you haven't already i had some some shipping address issues and so when people were going to the website they were entering in their shipping address and it was saying we cannot find that shipping address well i have since fixed that problem the doors are open so head on over to full sneak uh, fullsneakgear.com and check out all the the clothing that that we offer over there i would really appreciate it and make sure you go and follow on instagram as well so uh moving forward I do have to say that I am super, super happy with the direction that the network is going, that the uh, the Nine Finger Chronicles is going, that the Hunting Gear podcast is going, and I'm super happy with the friends and the supporters of the Nine Finger Chronicles. And I'm going to mention them right now, and then I'm going to get into detail as the year goes on about their products and, and a little bit more. So. If you're looking for a saddle or any type of saddle hunting accessory, including the education you need to become a better saddle hunter, go check out tetherednation.com. Tethered is a saddle company and they offer saddle hunting accessories, uh, the saddles themselves, the platforms, everything you need. Check out Tethered. Wasp Archery, still my favorite broadhead on the market. Most of their heads are still made in America. Durable. Uh, You can beat the absolute tar out of them. And that's what I want from the first thing that touches the animal is the broadhead, you know, for bow hunting I'm I'm talking about. So head on over to wasparchery.com, take a look at all of the fixed blades and the mechanicals that they offer, and then choose which one you like. My my two favorites uh, is the mechanical jackhammer. That thing has killed more deer for me than any other weapon any anything else combined and then the other one is the boss four blade that's a fixed blade and those are my two favorite heads that wasp offers and they have way more than that so go check them out wasparchery.com i do have a discount code nfc20 
2-0, and that's going to get you 20% off. Vortex Optics, man, if you're if you're in the hunting community or in the, the hunting space at all and you listen to this, you know that Vortex is number one, right? And they're number one for a reason. A lot of people would argue that it is their products that make them number one. I'm going to say there's a 1A and a 1B, and their products are 1B. Very important to have high quality products, but it's the people that work at that company that truly make it successful. And so huge shout out to all the people that work at, um, that work at Vortex because they actually care about their jobs. And uh, I've been there to HQ. It seems like a great place to work. And when you have a great place to work, people are happy and they're happy to support the brand, right? They're, they're participants in that space. So go on over to vortexoptics.com, check out their binoculars, range finder, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, red dots, you, red dots, you name it, they have it, vortexoptics.com. Next on the list, Code Blue. Code Blue is a scent company, uh, a scent company, scent elimination company. Uh, right now, I am a huge fan of the Rope-A-Dope system. And what that is, is it is a blue rope. You zip tie into a tree and you create like a mock scrape type of environment. And uh, every deer in the woods will come and it will investigate this. This, this, is, this is what I have seen. I put trail cameras in front of it to get an inventory of deer that are in the area. And every deer in the area at least once comes to investigate that this, if not multiple times. So uh, go check out CodeBlueSense.com. They have so many other products there for you guys to go check out. Discount code, again, 20% off, NFC20. Next is the Woodman's Pal. This machete, this habitat tool is perfect for a 365er like myself. You keep it in your truck. You can hack out trail camera locations. You can hack out, uh, you know, for example, the, the last time I used it was I was setting up a tree stand and it was in a black walnut tree and they are the ones with the big thorns and so what did i do i hacked all the thorns off there as i'm setting up the the tree stand and so we have uh, a, a tool like this that's durable it's made in america it's been around for since the 40s i believe and so go over to woodmanspal.com and check out all of the products on their uh, on their platform and then last but not least, we have Huntworth. Huntworth is a, a, a camo company. It's a clothing company, right? It's a gear company. And I would, I would say this, They're, they are at the top. There are the elite brands of hunting gear, clothing, however you want to look at it, that everybody knows. But these guys, in my opinion, have 90% of that quality and they have about 50% of that price. And so what you have here is this system, just like the elite brands do, layering systems, uh, you know, clothing for hot weather, you know, medium to mid-season temperatures, and then the extremely cold that we're all witnessing right now. And uh, so go to, to huntworthgear.com. Uh, I believe, no, I don't have a discode discount code right now but head on over to Huntworth's website take a look at all of their heat boost technology that they have in their cold their you know their late season stuff 
Um, seasons are winding down right now, but there's still plenty of opportunity to get out there and make sure you're comfortable when you do it. So, and that's it. That's the commercials, right? I know that took a little bit longer than it normally does, but um, man, huge shout out to all the people who support me through those businesses. Please go and support those companies uh, if, if you can. And then uh, the last thing I want to say is, you know, I've been here for 10 years now. I'm going on 10 years. And the only reason that I am in the position that I am in right now, yeah, you could argue hard work. Yeah, you could argue, you know, other things. But it's the people who listen to this that make all of this possible. Really, you've set my life up. I put out content. I heard it. I, I, people tell me it's good. And you guys continue to come back to it. And I really, really appreciate that because it allows me to live a lifestyle that most people don't get to, to live. And so um, that makes me happy. That makes my family happy. I, I have this very flexible schedule and it's all because of the foundation of what I've built and that is the Nine Finger Chronicles. And so uh, I really appreciate all your support and uh, man, here is to 2024 and let's kick it off the only way I know how and that's with the good old fashioned BS session with my man, Andrew Muntz. <laughs> three two one all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to the first episode of 2024 and today i'm going to be with another podcast contributor from the sportsman's empire podcast network and 2024 andrew marks my 10th year of podcasting you're getting old man dude I was digging. I was digging through some old footage from I don't know. I think 2007 to 2010, when I was part of a, a, a DVD or a hunting company called White Knuckle Productions, and we we made DVDs. Man, we went out into the woods. We filmed our you know annual or yearly I don't know doings of hunting, you know, setting tree stands, going shed hunting, going turkey hunting, doing all that stuff. And I looked at my face and I just was like, holy cow. And then I looked at myself in the mirror later that day and I was just like, dude, <laughs> like and the other thing that I, I looked at was I looked at that guy and I said, that guy doesn't know shit. He doesn't know anything. Uh, compared to what I know now and so I don't know I thought it was I thought it was funny but I'll tell you this the one the one cool thing was that that those those two different versions of me both are still both are and st or were and still are very passionate about about hunting so uh, I guess there's the common denominator I'll tell you I'll tell you what man the 10-year idea is something I wrote an article a couple of years ago for one of the industry trade associations that I was involved with. And uh, I don't know. It was like looking back 10 years ago. And I think about it now. Like 10 years ago, I was 27. Mm -hmm. I don't remember when I was 27, man. Yeah. Like I can go back and look. I don't remember. And I think um, I'm really bad. I'm high strung. Uh, I get super absorbed into things. And I forget what's happening around me. Yeah. So if we want to get a little philosophical and start talking about like New Year's resolutions this year for me i need to live in the moment right yeah and i need to remember what it's like to be 37 and 38 10 years from now yeah um that's real hard for me but yeah i i'm sure if i look back 10 years ago i mean 
my daughter would have been just about born. Like, there's so much there, and then I just, it's all blur. And I, I'll be honest with you, I hate it. Yeah. So. Well, that's the thing. Like, with, with that footage that I was looking up was my daughter as a baby. I mean, a brand, she was born in February. And so in one of the shed hunting uh, videos that I put out, there she was, just our first kid, uh, just like a couple months old, and I don't know. I, I just looked at that, and I, to be honest with you, got a little emotional because, and then now I look at all three of my kids, and they're not babies anymore, they're not toddlers anymore, like they're kids. And my my daughter's, I mean, she's ten, but she's on the verge of becoming this independent individual. And it's just, it's absolutely crazy how fast time flies when you're not paying attention to it. Yeah, and I think that, like, when I sit here and think about that, my daughter, I think they're about the same age as mine. But the um, 10 years from now, man. Yeah. What? She could be getting married. She mean college. Like, that's the kind of stuff that when I sit here and think about it, I'm like, all right, Andrew, don't be an asshole anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Pay attention to what's happening around you, you know. Yeah. Because those next ten years, then you're in a, it's a whole other phase of life. Yeah. And and the other thing that I've really been focused on, and this is not any type of hunting conversation at all, but is watching behavior of other children, and then watching behavior of my children, especially in public. And there's times where I I get frustrated with my children. And, you know, I'm like, man, what am I doing wrong? What am I, what am I doing wrong? What are, what are me and their, their mother doing wrong to make them act this way? But then I go to parent-teacher conferences, and I get, you know, from all of my kids, all of my kids, the teachers were like, hey, just want to let you know your kids are outstanding students. Um, you know, they get, they get good grades, but they're just good people. They help they help me, they help other classmates. And so that's good to hear. But then, you know, the whole part about the being in public and watching behavior of other children, I would beat some kids ass if they, if my kids behave the way uh, that I see other kids behave. And so I, I always, I'm, I'm that just type of person anywhere. We're like, am I doing good enough? Am I doing a good enough job, whether it's business or being a father or being a husband? And it, it, it makes me happy to see that that I am, and it's just something that is very important to me right now. In in which that is just like trying to make sure my children are prepared for the rest of their life. It's it, you, man. It, it's just one thing that I've been thinking about a lot right now. Yeah, and there's uh, yours are in sports, mine are in sports, and uh. You try to relate some of, of what you you know. They're start. My, last night we watched the Browns game. Okay, so yeah. we're Browns fans. Uh, I, I will uh, admit that, but they're doing good, right? They're having yeah. good. And like one of the things that team has said is they're having fun when yeah. they're out there. Yeah, they just have fun. So I try to remind my daughter when she gets real into her soccer and everything, like chill out a little bit, have fun. Which pot calling the kettle black. Sometimes maybe <laughs> dad needs to do a little bit of that. So right, right. But here's the thing, and so my daughter's in wrestling. Okay. And let's be honest, wrestling practice is difficult. It's one of the hardest sports to train for. It is a very in, like intense and grueling uh, way to become better. And really, 
there's only a short period of time where you get to celebrate in, in wrestling, and it's the the one moment that they raise your hand up, and then you have to forget about that match because you know you have to prepare for your next one. And so, what's that like? What's that like when they raise your hand up at the end of a match? It's a good feeling, man. And it, it like, I wrestled for three years, Dan, and that never happened. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> you never won a match in three years? No, man. I hate. I'll be. I'll be honest. I I hated being out on the mat. I wasn't. I don't know. I didn't. Yeah. Man, I made the mistake. So, I wrestled all through middle school. Let's see. I wrestled sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And then my freshman year in high school, I believe. But then at that point, we had to make a decision, right? We had to say, are you going to play basketball or are you going to be on the wrestling team? All of my close friends were on basketball. And so I said, well, you know what? I'm, I want to, I want to, I want to, I'm going to play basketball. And the wrestling coaches were like, dude, what are you doing? You don't even have a vertical. Like, like there, you, you suck at basketball. Stay on the wrestling team, and but I wanted to be with my friends, and so I. And then after that, I just didn't go back to wrestling. I, you know, basketball or basketball is over, so it was just football at that point. But to, to answer your question, the best part for me was my seventh grade year. So my first grade year, I or my uh, my sixth grade year, I think I only won two matches the entire year. Then the next year I went 500. So I beat so this one kid who I beat or who who beat me in 6th grade and then he beat me in 7th grade and then in 8th grade I came back and beat him. That is the best feeling right there. That means that the training that and work that you've put in was working and that you have to trust trust this process almost kind of like deer hunting, right? Where you have to trust the process of good access routes and good, you know, knowing where bedding areas are and things like that. You have to trust this process that you go through uh, during the wrestling season and it makes you better. And then it starts to click mentally for you as well. And you're like, okay, I'm in this position. Now what do I do? Well, I've drilled this a hundred times. So, you know, get the elbow in, stand up, turn around, whatever. And so it's a good feeling, man, especially when it's somebody who may be talking shit on you or just thinks right. they're going to walk into a match and you just launch them or something like that, that is, that's a good feeling. I'll tell you, I never had the basketball dilemma. I loved basketball as a kid, but being short, fat, and white, I didn't have to really <laughs> worry about uh, making the team. So, uh, but I will agree with you 100%. I think wrestling, uh, that was one thing. My son's doing it now, yeah. um, and he's he'll be the, the lightweight that's just ornery as shit. And, yeah. uh, but for my... I, man, we could go really deep on some of this. Yeah. I think some of my self-confidence issues yeah. um, that I had in middle school and high school that uh, were part of the reason I never won a match. Yeah. Uh, I didn't like to be out on the mat. I don't think I've shook all that. Yeah. And I think that happens when I get to the woods um, from time to time. Because I'll get put in that moment and it's like, this is your chance. Don't screw it up. Yeah. And instead of this is your chance follow what you know mm -hmm. it's don't screw it up right i gotta get right. that don't screw it up idea out of your mind right? yeah because screwing up is part of the process unfortunately for just about anything right whether you get pinned or you strike out at you know or you fail at you know some kind of 
I don't know, something at life, you then you have the ability to evaluate that, that failure and then go back in and, and try again, right? And so last year, my daughter had no confidence out on the wrestling mat, right? This year, she's gone to a more intense training camp and she has confidence now. And it showed in her last um, wrestling tournament where she took first place. And she beat two girls who were state, place winners uh this past year or you know this this past year and so she was extremely excited about that and then as at because of that she has got a lot more confident in her abilities and it and and so i'm really looking forward to her next wrestling match to see if that her meet to see if her confidence continues and you know it was my it's my job as a father to tell her that the last thing, you know, you won a really tough tournament this last, the last time, but this isn't last time. This is right now. And so you can't think you're going to go in and, and win again because you're not going to. And so it's my job almost to knock them down just a little bit and be like, you like have them prepared for every moment. Yep. If, that, if any of that makes sense. So, um, it does. I want to talk about something we talked about before we started recording. And you you live in Ohio. You have the Ohio Outdoors podcast, the O2 podcast. Has any conversation, any more conversation or information came up about that giant, the, the, the state record buck that was killed this past season? So um, for – anybody doesn't know there was a deer taken in ohio um that could have i think they, those guys he was on a podcast the guy who shot him yeah. uh after that he started to really back off um we have not had him on our show but uh the the buck itself they they were saying could have been in that top you know three one, all two, time three, i think it was three all top three, three all time yeah for for typical. at least the united states typical yeah. whatever it was taken in southern Ohio, um, I think Clinton County, which is down, moving towards more like Cincinnati. Yeah. But uh, it went quiet, right? And then uh, the state released a uh, re- press release the other the other day saying basically there's an investigation going on. The deer had been confiscated, the Cape Mount, whatever. Um, and then the I think the weapons or whatever, the bow that had been t- taken with. Yeah. And they haven't said a whole lot more about it. So we talked a little bit about it on our show uh, this week, but I don't know that we're going to get a whole lot more, you know, behind the scenes type of information until this investigation concludes. There's lots of rumors out there. Uh, When we we had Dustin Huff on our show a couple years ago after he had shot Moose, his big, you know, what is that, number two deer, whatever, um, over in Indiana. But he said, I mean, he'll tell you, First thing that happens when people find out you shot that deer, they all claim you poached it. Yeah. They all claim that you did something illegal uh, in the in the process to get that deer. Um, so I can't sit here and tell you that <clears throat> I know anything about that deer mm-hmm. that anybody else doesn't. And uh, was the guy legal, illegal? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Uh, I think we could talk about. I think there are facts of it. You, know, you took it with a crossbow, and I took it on, uh, you know, what was it, November 9th, I think. Yeah. Um, 
you know, those are the things that we do know and that the state is investigating it. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, the one the one bit of information that I heard, and I don't know if this is rumor mill or this has been determined fact yet, but that he he shot it on a property that maybe he didn't have permission to be on. Yeah, so that's an interesting one too. Um, that was in the press release mm -hmm. that they were investigating because that that you know did not have the written permission to be on that property. Yeah. <clears throat> in Ohio, you're we have a lot of private land, and it's you know there there is some public in the southeast part of the state and other little pockets here and there, but I think I don't know it's like ninety seven percent or something of the state is private, and. Um, so you got to have permission on these things. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, whether I should say that I've got properties I hunt on that I don't have the written little yeah. document. Yeah. Um, it's a friend that I've always hunted on mm -hmm. or, or somebody like that, you know, that I just, he's always said, okay. And I share meat with him or something like that. After this whole scenario, I will be having everything documented yeah. because that would be my luck is that I would end up with something like that. And then it would come back to bite me in the ass. But um, so I don't know if it's one of those type of situations or legit. The guy was trespassing and hunting on some some piece of ground that he wasn't allowed to. Yeah. And I'll tell you right now from from the guy's like 28 years old. Yeah. I hope to God that this is all just kind of the part of the process when you have a deer that big. Yeah. That they're going to investigate it and he's going to come back clean. Because, man, what a way to ruin your hunting career for the remainder of your life. And he might always have a black cloud of people thinking, yeah. but if he can get cleared or – and I'm not defending him. If he did something wrong, he needs to be – Held accountable to be for taken it, yeah. care of too. But at 28 years old, like talking about 10 years ago, that could just put a big damper on a lot of things for a long time. Yeah, I mean, that's that's for everything, man. You're young. Like just – so so – I'm just going to say names right now in the industry, like Greg Ritz, uh, Chris Brackett. There's two people, Bomar, right? Those those three people who are, they're big names, and they've been associated in some way, shape, or form with either allegations or have been charged with or have been found guilty or not guilty, you know, whatever their individual situations are. And, and now for the rest of their time in this space there will be that black cloud like you mentioned over top of their names even if they've done their time even if they've gone through the legal system and and have done whatever is the right thing to do there's still that little tag that's on them that is like hey uh get ready for the greatest roast of all time the roast of tom brady a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You know, this this guy was involved or had been charged or is potentially you know, a poacher or, you know, whatever, whatever the the terminology is there. But same with this kid. He, he's not even, I don't think he's even in the industry at all. And then it's not, it's this, what really pisses me off. It's, it's this magnificent creature. I mean, that's so rare to get that big. And now there's this, instead of celebrating it, we have to dig into it and we're like, okay, well, was this taken legally? Man, if I ever shoot a deer that big, and it, it it has it has world or state or any type of record potential. The first call will be to the DNR officer, and I will not get out of my tree until he shows up. And then I'm going to be like, hey, listen, I'm not even going to get out of my tree. You drive down this lane. You undo this gate. You come here. I'll get out of my tree. We'll go track it together. And then you can watch me put the tag on it. And then at that point, there's no... There's nothing else. There was there was one guy who did that a, a while ago where he shot an absolute giant. I mean, top 10 deer of all time, and I think that's what he did. He He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to even take any chances. My first call was to the DNR officer. We, he came out. He watched me tag it. He watched me call it in, and uh, we even took pictures together to prove that that he was involved in the recovery of this deer. And so it's, it's a shame that it has to go that far, but it's almost like a nece- it's, ne- it's necessary. It's, it's, damn it all, Dan, it's a product of society. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you got to, you know, dude wins a tour to France yeah, or France, whatever. You have to wait for his blood doping results to come back to make sure he didn't cheat the whole time through. Right. Or win an Olympic medal, make sure they didn't, you know, it, it, social media, all the stuff that we do. Uh, you know, is this even real? The stupid world. I mean, there's so much just whatever. And and I, like I said, I hope the guy. I hope they go through the whole process. They come back. They find out he had the permission. All that, whatever the problem is, and he's cleared, and we can celebrate it. Yeah. But I hate this idea that we have to have this waiting period to celebrate it. Uh, it would be much better if we did it how you were saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, man. Uh, there's gonna there is gonna be a, a period of time where this investigation will go through, but it doesn't look good when the Department of Natural Resources starts to confiscate things. You know what I mean? Like, and and here's yep. and and here's one thing that I've always had. I've, I've thought like the DNR, a DNR officer, has never come to me and charged me with any type of crime right and why is that because i've never done i've never broke any wild game violations right i've never i've never done anything illegal to actually get you know some charges brought against me or to to get attention from the department of natural resources now when someone is charged with a crime it's I have a, or, or, you know, things are starting to be confiscated and things like that. It just, like, that's never happened to me. That's never happened to any of the guys really that I know, right? And so my question is, is, is like, 
does the DNR and there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there because I made a comment about this on social media a while ago. Um, and there's people out there like, well, if you share deer hunting on on social media and you share a big deer and you share they're they're looking for you. They're they're paying attention to you. I, I have a hard time believing that no like knowing the budgets of the Department of Natural Resources, like they're not going to be tapping phones. They're not going to be like, like uh, hacking into social media accounts or phones to like, they're not, they're not going and doing that unless there is a reason to do that. Right. And so it's like with some of these high profile names that I've mentioned, right. There was something that was done for them to switch, like to focus on them and to go in and say, hey, there's something fishy here. We're going to investigate this, or we're going to we're going to file formal charges on you. And so, like the the writing, in my opinion, is kind of on the wall. That the they're not just looking for people to screw over. That's that's not how. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. No, nope, I agree. We uh, one of our shows coming up here. We we uh, interviewed a guy who's retiring game warden. And um, he had some interesting points on kind of like what from a DNR conservation officer perspective as far as, you know, what they're trying to – they want to get the bad guys. Yeah. Right? They're not out there to get the guy who's, you know, doing something a little stupid. They might pick you up for that along yeah. the way if, if you're doing something there, you know, if it comes to it. But they don't want to mess with, you know, the little stuff. They – probably rather be looking into something like this and if it was taken illegally there that's where you know they need to get that done right and that's to to keep you and i you know protected yeah and more than anything the guys who do it right yep and and do go get the permission and you know aren't out poaching in the middle of the night whatever you know they're gonna go on and on but um that's that's what they're there for and to protect the resource yeah absolutely um what are your thoughts on how poaching is handled in the state of uh, of Ohio? You think well, it's, it's I don't fair? Know that I'm, man, I feel <laughs> probably not. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's tough enough. I think a lot of times things t- tend to there to me. There's differences, right? Uh, and when we talked to to Pete on our show which will come out, I think, next week. He talks about deregulation, all right? So I think when you pull up, up this book, this is our, our our regulation book here. It's this thick, mm-hmm. all right? It's, uh, it's actually last year's, but the uh, it's this is a highlight, right? If you actually look at the Ohio Revised Code, it's like this big. And if you get really nitty-gritty in there like there's there's stuff and it it's contrary to each other it's doesn't make sense so it was one of these things like as he talked about in our show you know somebody had an instance pop up where a a law was broken so then they put in an amendment or whatever amendment's probably not the right word but a new code you know that kind of trumped that and then somebody beat that one so then they keep and they keep compiling compiling to the point where it's like wait, wait a second this one back here you know, where the guy could, didn't buy his tag in time. Well, now it's like three or four different iterations later, and now you can buy your tag on your phone. Like, I don't know. Yeah. There's, so he's talking to our department. They're talking about doing a lot of uh, looking into that. 
and kind of going back and, and revising it, which I think is great, right? We want to keep tradition, but at the same time, we also have to be up at, with, with the times. Now, so that's hitting the, nit, nit, you know, what's the term? Uh, just nitpicky stuff. Mm-hmm. The guys who were out poaching in the middle of the night with suppressors and thermals and all that kind of stuff, different story, right? Yeah. The guys, uh, we talked earlier a little bit about the, the poaching in southeast Ohio, the turkeys, taking 50 turkeys a year. That is not okay. That is that is complete poaching. That is actively breaking the law. Blatant. There's a difference in my mind where you miss something stupid in the real rule book, and, and stupid is kind of subjective, but and you're blatantly out there yeah. poaching. Yeah. We had the, the instance this year with the guys up on Lake Erie packing their walleye full of baits and ice and whatever just to get the more weight up. Yep. I don't know what en- ended up happening to that uh, exactly. I know they got kicked out of the little fishing um, tour and all that kind of stuff. But generally, I and maybe this isn't just Ohio, but I feel like you see people get in, get charged with poaching or something, and it's like a $500 fine, and I'm like, man. That's it? Is that really enough? Yeah. Right? Or did they lose their hunting license? Like, to me, if you're out there poaching, you probably need to be hit with something. It's like anything yeah. um, that, that that's really going to change you, change your ways, make you think twice before you go do it again. Yeah. $500 is a lot of money, but at the same time, for some people it is, and some people it's not. Yeah. Uh, maybe we could talk about the legal system in general, but yeah, uh, yeah. so the... And overall, I don't think that normally the um, punishments are The punishments fit the crime, yeah. And I agree 100% with the minor stuff, like uh, make sure you tag your deer 15 minutes after you shoot it, or, you know, when you remove, it has to be removed from the woods in a certain way, and you got to call it in in a certain time. Like, life happens. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Um and and so i i understand like a law is a law if it's a minor law like let, let's say for example i i put my tag uh i put my uh deer in my truck and this did not happen but i'm saying if it did happen i put my deer in my truck i have the tag in my pocket i i drive to a, uh, my house and i hang it up in my barn and and somewhere in there maybe i get pulled over or or DNR stops me or something like that, and I don't have my tag on my deer. Like uh, they're gonna ask, well, why? And oh man, I forgot about it. Silly me, right? Now there's but there's people out there who are gonna try to do the opposite, right? They're they don't want to tag that buck, right? So that's that's poaching if it's blatant. Like I think there's a, a word I'm looking for where intent. That's the word. What is the intent of the crime? Right. If you're spotlighting with a high powered rifle during archery season, there's a lot of intent there. Right. That's blatant. And, and I feel like the book should be thrown at you for things like that. And so um, and I was talking, you know, I made a post yesterday about like I, I believe in second chances. So if some if some 20 year old set, is out spotlighting, uh, he should lose his license for a certain period of time. What that is, I don't know. And then he should get a second chance. But later on in life, if he does it again, we've given him a second chance and he's now convicted again of a crime. I feel that you should lose your license for the rest of your life. 
across all states and all fishing and hunting and trapping because you it just didn't sink into you what these rules are okay now if you forget to tag your deer or what some minor law right I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to provide an example, but their their intent has a lot to do with it. The the law, the law that you're breaking has a lot to do with it. But I also feel that punishments are not harsh enough for uh, serial lawbreakers or serial poachers who are doing it every year. There was a guy in my hometown, this was 10, 15 years ago, who got busted for like he was notorious for uh tr- trespassing during shed hunting season so he would go to the big farms uh that were highly managed and he'd he'd go right in there and he'd shed hunt the whole farm and he'd pick up a ton of antlers and then he would go and resell them well he got caught one time and then he got caught again and then he got caught for spotlighting and then he got caught for having too many turtle traps and then he got caught for um ha- having over the limit in fish and and all this stuff so this guy's a serious uh you know he's a serial poacher and so i feel like those have to be turned into felonies and you have to not only you're gonna lose your like the especially the third time like i'm i'm talking about potentially turning it in like a felony the second time but the third time it's got to be a felony. I mean, you're not learning your lesson. And so taking away your firearms and taking away your uh, right to vote, it might just be like, uh, okay, uh, maybe I should stop doing this before I actually go to prison for this type of behavior. Right. So, I, and I agree with you, right? That That's the intent. The guy had the intent of, I don't care, I'm going to keep, keep breaking the law. So I, I have a wildlife violation. Um I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but I think you have the, I was in a different state and it was 20, about 20 years ago. I'm new to this, this game, right? Uh, 37 degrees pouring rain, uh, on the side of a mountain, freezing my ass off. This is before I'm in college. I have no good gear. I have cotton. I mean, it's, it's everything we don't do now. right? Right. Um, and so I go back to the truck and I had been borrowing a rifle because I was in college and poor and I didn't have this stuff. And, uh, I'm learning, like I, I, we've talked about before. I didn't grow up hunting. I, I the whole process was mm-hmm. learning and, uh, get back to the truck, which I happened to find. I can't believe I found it. Sat on the tailgate, waited for the guys to come back. Right. I'm like, I just sit here and wait. I can, I can wait it out. Um, well, DNR officer pulls up. Sir, is that gun loaded? Yep. I'm like, he's like, can I see your license and stuff? I'm like, sure. I had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. Well, in that state, you couldn't be within 25 yards of a feet, 50 feet, something like that, of a, of a vehicle with loaded gun because they didn't want you road hunting. Mm-hmm. Now, I wasn't road hunting at all. I was just sitting there freezing my ass off. Um, but at the same time, like, so that was one of those minor infractions mm-hmm. that uh, I got a ticket. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I didn't yeah. know I was. I didn't know I was doing anything illegal. But for I paid the hundred and twenty nine dollars. I'll never forget it. And uh, I learned my lesson. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Won't do that again. So now, if you're ever out with me during gun season, that gun is unloaded well before we get back to the truck <laughs> because that will never happen again. Yeah. Oh man, that's crazy. Um, yeah, man. I don't, I don't have any examples of where, I mean, I'm sure I've messed up, 
at some point. I, I can't remember. I know that one time another hunter, uh, you know, in Iowa, there's cattle all over the place. And when there, where there's cattle, there's salt licks, right? And so I was hunting uh, a deer. This was, man, I want to say like 2009 or 2008, so a long time ago. And there was a guy who was hunting the same farm as me. And he called the DNR officer and told them that I was I was baiting, okay? Well, I wasn't baiting. I was hunting a trail that led into a, uh, a cattle pasture that eventually turned into a cornfield. So I was hunting this, this little uh, transition area. And on the opposite side of this, uh, on the cattle pasture, there was a, a salt lick for the cattle. And so he claimed that I was hunting there because the deer were going to the cattle salt lick. And so the, the DNR officer came up and he investigated the scene and he talked to me and he's like, Hey dude, uh, you just keep hunting. Like this guy obviously didn't want me there because of the deer that were in, in the area. So he was trying to get me kicked off of this farm for breaking a law, but he was hunting the same farm in the same area. And so, so I was like, what's going, what is going on here? But I talked with the DNR right. officer and he, he made it sound like, you know, it, there's that, there's this gray area, right? Because there's cattle, there's salt licks all over Iowa. And, and to think that you're not going to be hunting within a certain distance of them on a full fledged cattle operation is kind of ridiculous there or livestock of some sort. There's going to be salt licks out there. And, and so they're just like, do not hunt over it. Like just, you cannot hunt over it. It's, and it's a lot of it has to, uh, it's objective. I think it's, is it subjective or ob objective where it's at the discretion of the DNR officer? Subjective. Yeah. Subjective to what they feel it constitutes a law. This, this, this uh, salt lick wasn't even on the property that I was hunting. It was all on the neighboring farm. And honestly, I didn't know about it until the DNR officer told me about it. I knew there was cattle out there, but I, I didn't notice that there was a, uh, uh, a salt lick out there. And so that was a whole thing. And, and like, there's, there, there are a lot of gray areas out there in, uh, in the hunting rules and regulations, but I, I, I feel like if I was the governor of Iowa, right, I would make it or I was the head of the DNR, I would I would do a huge push in reevaluating all of the wild game rules and regulations, whether that's fishing, trapping, uh, bird hunting, turkey hunting, deer hunting, archery season, gun season. I would reevaluate it all. And I know that is coming from someone who has never ran a part of a you know, state organization, but, but you are, you are the emperor. So, oh, right, I mean, right, right. The, you know, and so, so I would reevaluate it all, make it less gray, make it more black and white. And then I would also increase the, uh, uh, penalties for repeat offenders, uh, in, in this state. So whether that's, dude, did there was a, a group of guys on the river one day, my father-in-law was getting, uh, loading his boat back up after fishing and he saw a group of guys carrying like those big yeti 310 or those the biggest yeti coolers there's three of them 
packed full of fish and they started to leave and uh, someone had called them in because they saw these fish. Dude, they had, I think it was three guys. They had 300 fish. They had caught 300 fish that day and they were like this big and they kept every single one, every fish they caught. There was carp, walleye, bass, bluegill, any, any and everything. They kept it and they put it in their, uh, uh, in their cooler, and they got but they got busted big time for that. And and I think with fish, it's for every fish over the limit, it has a dollar amount. And so these guys got hammered with fines. It was crazy. That doesn't even sound like a good idea. Like, what are you eating? Some of that sounds like a lot of work. Oh yeah, like... exactly. Like, <laughs> you know how many how many fit? Like, I hate filleting fish. And then you're gonna you're gonna sit there and you're gonna do like 300 fish in a day. Get out of here. That's Dude. nuts, man. I tell you what. The so some of the, what we're talking about is the I don't know if deregulation is the idea or re-regulation, but there is a lot. Um, you know, we went up to Michigan this year, shot a buck up there, and coming back, we can't cross the state line, mm-hmm. right? Or I didn't, I didn't think. Now, I have been told since this that if I had taken that deer straight to a certified processor in Ohio, I, I'm not, I don't know if this is real, that that would have been okay. Mm-hmm. But we're driving 10 hours back from, from Michigan, and I got to figure out what to do with this deer. I couldn't, I wanted to keep the head. I can't take the head across the line. So, like, there, there's some of that kind of stuff. We ended up, I had to leave it at a processor in Michigan, and at some point I'm going to have to drive up there, and it's going to cost me a lot more, but it's okay. Like, it's one of... That is something I'm willing to do in that situation. But when you travel to another state, so you're talking about all the rules and stuff, mm-hmm. and if you're the emperor of Iowa, the if I'm in Ohio, I've got all these rules here. Man, it is. It almost turns, in my opinion, probably turns people off from traveling and trying to figure out all the different state regulations. Mm-hmm. And I know on our show, we've talked to some of these guys, whether hunting public or some of the, the guys that travel in multiple, multiple states a year. How do you, how the hell do you keep up with all the regulations for each state? Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's got to be a job in itself. I am all about the states controlling their own stuff, right? You guys do your thing. We'll do ours. We'll manage our herds that way. But um, anything to help simplify some of these these laws, especially the, the, the nitty picky stuff, like to encourage more hunters and people to want to be out in the woods and not be afraid that every time they take it, you know, do turn around, they're going to be breaking some other violation. Packing 300 fish in a cooler, that's pretty clear cut, right? That's that's pretty basic. But, you know, if you, I don't, you know, pick something stupid, have a gun 25 feet from your truck, yeah. and then in the next state it's 30 feet, like, what do you do? You just yeah. take it out at a hundred yards like I do. Oh yeah. You don't even like you throw your gun out close. the window in its case while you're driving. And then you hike a hundred yards back to right. it. Then you load it. And then you go, then you go hunting. I'm sure there's something illegal there though. Oh like, yeah. You, leave it alone, you, lit- you get busted for littering. <laughs> well, like, so here's one in Ohio that I, I haven't really come to grips with, or I haven't figured out when it, we cannot hunt with rifles. Um, our gun options are shotguns, muzzle loaders, and uh, straight wall cartridge rifles. Yeah. Okay, but not your typical, uh, you know, crimped neck or whatever. However, you are allowed to hunt coyotes at night with any gun you want. Mm-hmm. So night, and I get it. Like there's more deer hunters, and the potential for a uh, shot going too far in in that one week of deer season versus the guys out hunting coyotes. But to me, if you're hunting at night, 
and you're using a weapon that can fire, you know, four or five, six, whatever times the distance of, of, you know, it's just like, I don't know that that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, I'm sure somewhere somebody has thought this through, or I would hope, but some of that kind of stuff too, to me is, and I, trust me, I, I like going out for coyotes. So, and I want to use whatever I can to get out there and poke them. Um, so don't change that on me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And I was listening to somebody's show the other day. I don't know if it was yours or somebody else. But the more we talk about some of the stuff, sometimes maybe maybe we just need to keep our mouth shut. Um, because then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, they're making that regulation and it doesn't go in your favor. So yeah, which I, str- I struggle with that. I, I, that's I'm glad you said that because I want to I want to transition into some of this stuff right now and. And then which is eventually going to kick off a conversation that I think you and me want to have about crossbows. But um, I, I was th- I was going looking for that wrestling match when it comes to that topic. You're right, right. So in Iowa, there's all these. There's all these every year, there's all these new rules and regulations that are trying to introduce new seasons, new weapons, change the laws uh, about non-resident landowners to um trying to increase tag allocation for non-residents, trying to get basically more deer, more tags for residents and non-residents, more opportunity, like more weapons, more like just everything. Like you name a law, you name a part of hunting and there's going to, there's a group of people out there. Well, and I, and I've, I've beat this dead horse quite a bit on this podcast but they're not from Iowa. The people who are trying to introduce, and I'm just going to use crossbows for an example because that's what we're ultimately going to talk about next. But the people who are trying to trying to get crossbows legal during Iowa archery season are not Iowa residents. They are. It's it's a company that hired a lobbyist to come in. They did a cost analysis. They said we're going to gain this much if Iowa passes this law and then they approach that to they, they they lobby our politicians and so what we are doing uh, when i say we i meant the residents of iowa and the iowa bow hunters association uh we are we're actually rallying the troops and we're doing a pretty damn good job of it where we are now in somewhat where shape or form hiring our own lobbyist to basically lobby against this out these these I, I don't you know take it how you want to take it this outside threat to lobbying these new rules and regulations and we're, we're taking the offensive to try to get to a point where we, we we say we don't want this law changed for the next 10 years we can reevaluate it in 10 years but for the next 10 years this law doesn't change and the reason for that is because Iowa is one of the greatest whitetail states for a reason, and it's because of our rules and regulations. Talk to the guys at Michigan. Talk to the you know. Talk to the people in Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, right? Every like everybody I talk to who is serious is is jealous of our like they wish they had Iowa's rules and regulations. They wish that the the rifle season was pushed back out of the rut. They wish, um, you know, maybe crossbows weren't legal during the archery season, things like that. 
And so, um, and, and how, how tags are allocated to residents and non-residents. And so, um, I just, I, I like, I, I, I feel that hunters have the right and it's almost not necessarily a right, but a responsibility to communicate, to rally the troops, to communicate with the Department of Natural Resources and their lawmakers and let them know that they are unhappy with how, because oftentimes the rules that are introduced aren't introduced in your best interest. It's in somebody else's best interest who has no part of the state of Ohio or the state of Iowa. You know what I mean? I do. And I think what you're talking about is just kind of business in general, right? And there are crossbow companies out there that I'm sure look at Iowa as the golden goose. If we can get in there, this is just going to be great. Um, But it's business, right? And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Uh, For the longest time in Ohio, this is off off the track, but they were trying to legalize marijuana, right? And one of the things, I don't know, 10 years ago, I think one of the major investors was like Snoop Dogg, Mm -hmm. okay? What the hell does he care about Ohio? He didn't, right? But except that there was money and there's a potential that 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 could be uh, a place for something. Now, they have since gotten it legalized um, here on our last ballot, but the the fact is they they saw that as an opportunity to make money. So the crossbow companies are going to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Now, you and I are going to differ, and I, I, I applaud you for your hiring of lobbyists and all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't matter. There's going to be people out there forever, that, you know, the anti-hunting people that might be have major investments in soy or whatever that want us to all eat fake meat. They're going to do the same thing to try to outlaw hunting. I think your money's better spent on that avenue, personally, mm-hmm. but uh, you're passionate about it, right? Mm-hmm. And I respect that. So... Um, now, we can differ on the, the crossbow ideas. I love Ohio's regulation, right? Uh, and I can sit here and say, we're, we're, we shoot one buck in this state. And you guys are wrong because you shoot two. Mm-hmm. But I'm not managing your herd. Exactly. Right? And I'm not managing West Virginia's herd where you can take three. Right? And they're across the river. Like, what the hell does that river do? Nothing. Mm-hmm. There's no difference between, the, you know, one side of the river in West Virginia and the other side in Ohio. But you can take three bucks over there and one over here. Yeah. But that's why I live in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And that's why... I, we, we are the best state in the nation, Dan, and it's it's game day. Go Buckeyes, right? right. So uh, that's that's one of those things that, like, I'll fight you about the crossbows and how I feel they're beneficial for the industry in general, for Ohio yep. uh, in general. But I think you're always going to be up against uh, when business comes into play um, or people's you know, the anti-hunting crowd and that small percentage, they get loud and they always seem to have so much damn money mm-hmm. behind their cause uh, because there are people invested somewhere down the line. And you don't know. It could be Snoop Dogg. And, man, if I pulled that one wrong, I apologize. But or, you know, Jeff Bezos or whoever down, you know, down the road, mm-hmm. somebody with a lot of money is involved because they see that as a place to make more money. Right. I agree on a business standpoint where you're selling a product or you have a product that you're trying to get, like, let's be honest, marijuana is a product. Like, a can of beer is a product, right? But I don't want, like, the, the I, I look at white-tailed deer, it's a natural resource. It's not a product. And so I don't want deci- business decisions being made on a natural resource 
right? Uh, there's no, there, yes, in a way there is a supply and demand for that product, but a bad winter, a drought, um, disease, all of that stuff can affect this natural resource. It doesn't affect a product, okay? And so I, well, you know, take that, you, you, could, you could argue that, right? You know, this corn or food or whatever. But for the most part, this is something that is, is in my opinion, fragile, the ecosystem is somewhat fragile and it can be messed up. You know, CWD can come through, uh, EHD can come through and wipe out in, like 90% of herds. Okay. And but aren't, but aren't there kind of stop gaps in place for that? So if you guys had EHD come through and wipe out 75% of your herd one fall, mm -hmm. the next year they can put in the regulations. Hey, instead of being able to take two bucks this year, you take one. Instead of being able to take six deer this year, you can take three. Like, not necessarily the weapon side of things, but they can limit the amount of tags they're giving out, right? They, they, they potentially could change that, but they haven't, right? Uh, and it, here's the, because you've got a healthy herd. Well, no, that's what I'm getting at. But and I want to, I want to transfer uh, transition to turkeys for a second. You talk to every Iowan who's a serious turkey hunter, and they're going to tell you that the last 10 years have been absolutely uh, the lowest, the, um, the, the not good turkey hunting compared to previous years, right? Turkey hunting is down. Populations are down. Um, like the, the poults, the amount of poults, like there's just not the same number of turkeys that there is. And this has been happening for multiple years. Now I can't state, or I can't quote any studies done in this conversation, but usually hunters are right because they're out there more than the scientists are. The people who are, you know, the outdoorsmen, they can tell you, oh, dude, I walked up on a pond full of dead deer, or I, you know, I only heard three turkey gobbles this entire, entire season, but they haven't changed the rules and regulations in Iowa for turkey hunting. Even though the majority of people that I, I mean, I've talked to, and I talk to a lot of people who have said that turkey hunting is down, right? So I am, is that on the, is that on the hunter though? Or is that on the government? Because in Ohio, we had the same thing, right? Yeah. And we went from two birds to one. And in the fall, they produced the season. They made an attempt to let's reduce that hunting pressure and how many are being taken that way mm -hmm. until we can figure out what's going on. Right. It, it's 100%. Actually, it's both. Right? Because, like, should I have shot my turkey last year? He was the only gobble I heard all, like, that, that morning. Previous years, when I say previous years, I'm going to say seven years. Dude, tons of gobbles all over the place. And then there was this decline, right? And then now I don't know if we're going on an increase or, but I heard one gobble. I shot that, I shot that Tom. All right. But you're like an expert turkey hunter and you probably, <laughs> you were only out for like 10 minutes, right? It was probably like seven, but, um, <laughs> what I'm getting at. Uh, first of all, for the record, I hate both you and Paul because he, you sit there and you're like, I was out for seven minutes and shot a turkey. And he goes out and, and shoots this 
really great buck this year and i sat out like a million times and he sat out <laughs> plenty of times but i'm like and now he's the expert deer hunter in ohio i'm like i i really hate both of you guys <laughs> anyway uh, sorry no you're good uh the the whole point that i'm trying to make here is that i feel that all rules and regulations should be adjusted based off of science that is the best for the natural resource right when i agree when a when a bow manufacturer or a company lobbies something what evidence do they bring to the table that says this is how it will affect the deer herd this is how many more hunters like they're just not bringing that information other than we believe that it uh there's going to be this many you know this this much of an increase in sales of crossbows across the state of Iowa and our mar our, our margin or our, our profit share in that is this percentage okay that's that's the only information they're bringing they're not saying like hey just to want to let you know that we feel that this is going to benefit the deer herd because of this reason. There's no benefit. I mean, there's, there's no, anytime there's a weapon change, you, like, especially for a crossbow in archery season, what you're getting is a longer distance, right? So success rates are going to go up. Uh, pe people who don't want to take the time to learn a compound bow, they're going to, they're going to come back into the, the mix, which, hey, you know what? Great. Great. More, more hunters, right? Is that, is that what we need? Maybe. I don't know. Right? Do we have access for them once all these other people flood in? in? And so there, what, we're, what we have here, in my opinion, is this giant onion with all these layers, right? And so what we have in Iowa, uh, everybody wants to come home, hunt deer in Iowa. But did you know that pretty much the southern part of the state is the mecca of the state? The northwest corner is all agriculture. And yes, there are there's pockets of good deer hunting in, in there. Northeast Iowa along the Mississippi River, good, you know, really good deer hunting. But you get into the, the it's all farm ground. I mean, you can see for 10, 15 miles standing on, on the ground up there. All the cover is gone. They, it's, it's all crops. It's all, it's all agriculture. It's all livestock. And so that's what makes the southern part of the state. Now, the, so what you have is now you have everybody, and this is like, a, like I've, I've been trying to find a way to say this. And I feel that the root cause analysis for all of the problems within the deer hunting community, poaching, access, uh, specific weapons, is all because of big antlers. Everybody wants big antlers, okay? And so if you have money, what are you going to do? You're going to buy up a large chunk of land. You're going to restrict the hunters that have used that. You're going to push them off, they will be displaced into public or other private that ha has already already has hunters on it, which the the hunting experience then for everybody else becomes less, right? If the goal is to try to find a mature whitetail, 
okay? I am 100% lucky that I have the, 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 the multiple farms that I have to hunt, 100%. Like, it, it is luck that I have this. I have been kicked off. I, I can remember, I think it was like 2010 would have been the peak. Somewhere around 2009, 2010 was the peak for me where I, I, I bet, yeah, I had close, I want to say 20 to 30,000 acres of access to hunt in Iowa around where I grew up. Every year, farm would sell to a non-resident or farm would sell to a, a, somebody else and I would get kicked out of that farm, kicked out of that farm. Oh, we're going we're gonna to lease this farm this year, kicked out of this farm. Uh, we're going to let this buddy of ours outfit it, kicked off the farm, right? And so it all gets, where are all these people going? Where, they're just going into to public or they're quitting hunting. All right. Just so a few can hunt. And so I, I want to try to like, I am the kind of guy who says good vibes, right? I, I, I'm trying to be as positive as humanly possible. But the path that we are on in another 20 years is does not look good for our children. I mean, you're going to have to be a landowner. Oh, and and by the way, in my county, a hundred acres just sold for one point two million dollars, and I mean zero value in the soil, sand, sand soil, and it's all recreation. And so, so I'm sorry. I, I, I think I'm sorry. I'm I'm on a rant, dude. Got your soapbox going. No, it's your show. You're allowed to do that, right? Uh, you got two different issues going. Like we we started down that crossbow route, and then you yeah. got this land access mm-hmm. issue. I don't disagree with you on the land access. And, and honestly, um, I'm not sure Ohio is that much different um, uh, with land just because of the private public issues and all yeah. that kind of stuff. I think, in my opinion, my opinion, your time and effort and money and stuff, lobbying is, is way more valuable to go down that land thing, right? How do you stop that mm-hmm. than the crossbow world? But um, No, I, I get it. I mean, these are just all issues that – that myself, I, I consider high value issues, uh, in the state of Iowa. Right. I'll tell you this. I, the, the, the law that scares me the most is non-resident landowners being able to hunt every single year because what's going to happen is the land prices in Iowa are going to skyrocket especially in the, the great deer hunting counties, because the non-residents, there's, there is a, there's a dam. There is a dam, which is this law, that you have, if you're a non-resident landowner, you still have to go through the draw system. There's a hole, there's a hole in that dam. You know, now there's a hole. <laughs> but, but there's a dam, and there's all these non-residents just waiting to hunt Iowa, right? Uh, some of the guys that I've talked to said it's going to take five, six years in a handful in, I want to say another five, 10 years. It's probably going to be 10 years. You're going to have to wait in order to hunt Iowa. Okay. As a resident, I don't give a shit. Like I, I love that. I want people to come enjoy Iowa, but if you talk to any serious hunter waiting that long is worth it when they get to experience this rut and they get to experience what Iowa is all about. But that law changes. Non-resident landowners are going to come in 
with a ton of money and they're just going to buy everything. Every four acre chunk. And I think right now the law is if you own four acres, you can get a, a landowner's tag. And then you're able to hunt every single year with that landowner's tag. And so if they change that law, it's over for residents. That's a problem, man. Yep. That sucks. That's a big... Your property value might go up. Yeah, great. That's awesome. Great. But you sell your for... house for like three times as much and move to Ohio. Yeah, but that's only if you're a resident. Like, uh, or a non-resident. It's only good if you're a non-resident. Like, for me, I'm like... I don't, no, I'm just I, saying, I don't you, own your, your value should be should be up, right? Your house, you can just, just sell it and come, come come over here. You can be a Buckeye with us. <laughs> Never. Never. But anyway, these are all things that I think about. And the whole point of this, the, 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 long, the long way. Oh, we're not done. Oh, yeah, I know. The, the, the long way, that was a long way of saying that I feel like the, the, the outdoorsmen, the hunters, the trappers, the, the fishermen, um, the people who want to hunt with dogs who are being persecuted by their, our, own, our own community, right? Whether that's coon hunters or people want to run deer with dogs down in the, in the south and things like that. I have my own beliefs in what dogs do to hunting pressure, um, but I'm not going to get into it today. We, we all have this voice, but I just don't feel that, like, at Hunters, all we do is bitch and complain. We don't ever take action. And so I would challenge everybody who's, who's listening to this to take action in 2024. Be vocal. Say what you don't like about your current rules and regulations. Try to find like-minded individuals and, and get a group of people together and maybe, just maybe, you can change a rule and regulation to the what the majority want as opposed to just a, a law that's passed just because some some politician said they wanted it so all right yeah I, I, go ahead you're sure. uh, no i'm passing i'm passing the mic to you now pa- passing the mic okay so i think uh i'm i'm with you and i think you need to make sure that you've got all your ducks in a row and all that kind of stuff i think so much especially when it comes to legislation it's like this kind of smoke and mirrors thing like this is our what we're going to say but then there's just backdoor interest happening right so with your crossbows um you know the backdoor interest is they want to sell more crossbows Mm -hmm. and iowa would be the mecca so let's get this i think what you need to be careful of when you talk about making scientific based things is if they try hard enough i have a feeling they're gonna find the science yeah and it's I don't think it's that hard. So coming from Ohio, we are crossbows. We have crossbows part of our archery season. I think I don't have the numbers in front of me. They always release them, but it's a large percentage of our deer, total deer every year are harvested with a crossbow, mm-hmm. 40, 50, maybe more. I thought it was, I, I heard it was seven out of every 10. It might be. Okay. Um, our gun season is a week long. Mm-hmm. It's the first it's the week after thanksgiving so it's out of the rut basically um it's shotgun so like gun season used to be the season i think a lot of guys have transitioned that to crossbows right the other but the the scientific part of that dan is that our herd is huge Mm -hmm. right our problem is we need to take more does um you can drive down the highway and it looks like a a murder scene Mm -hmm. all november because there there's so many deer collisions so if you if those crossbow companies 
get to states like Ohio, who realistically were not that much different than you, uh, Indiana, some of these other ones, they're going to say, look, if you need to manage your deer herd, Iowa legislators, you need to allow crossbows year year round because or not year round, but all season, because in Ohio it is reducing you know these numbers. Because if in Ohio if we didn't have those crossbow numbers taking a lot, I, I guarantee at least seventy five percent of the crossbow hunters are probably not going to do compound because of the time it takes, the efficiency. Uh, maybe they're not physically able. I don't really want to get into that physically able able type of thing because for kids and old older people or injured people like that. That's a whole other story. Um, but uh, we just, we take a lot of deer that way. Now, the other thing, to be proficient with a compound bow, you have to practice, right? Yeah. Uh, and that takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And in today's day and age, we don't have time. I spend more time in my life trying to remember username and password than my parents <laughs> ever could have imagined, right? Um, and that's that kind of stupid stuff that takes away from stuff where back in the day you could get really proficient with your bow. Mm-hmm. I still make sure I make time. And this year I had one of my better years when it comes to success. Did I still have failure? Yes, I did. And I hate that. Um, but that's part of the deal. I know it's possible, but I never lost a deer with a crossbow. Mm-hmm. I hunted with a crossbow for a year or two to get back into things, to get my confidence up. And then from there, I transitioned to a compound because I wanted that next challenge, right? To be really honest with you, as soon as I feel basically 100% proficient with that compound, I'm probably going to look at a trad bow because mm-hmm. that's like the next challenge. And I mm-hmm. think you and I are similar in this idea of, you know, you like to challenge yourself. And if you, you know, in, in the podcast world, if you got this many downloads last year, let's get this many the next year. Like it's in my job at work, it, my real job, it's sales. So if I sold this much last year, I want to sell this much the next year. Like keep going, make it the more challenge. How can you do more um, or make it, you know, even a more difficult thing? But I think from an efficacy standpoint and efficiency, it's hard to really fight a crossbow is being less ethical. I mean, you might have people trying to take really long shots and I get that. It's a whole nother, yeah. you know, you could do that with a compound though too. And, um, it's, it's in Ohio, we need those crossbows to help manage the herd scientifically. And it's not a two week season. It's the full season. Um, I think you got to be careful when you say bring us the science before, you know, we all know that there is a, a business interest, but I think very easily they could switch that to here's the scientific evidence. And maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I, I do have a science degree and background, but uh, not necessarily in wildlife management. Right. And so from my understanding, when, uh, when Ohio legalized, how long has, have crossbows been legal? in as long as i can remember like 10 years 20 at years, least something like that and so now what, what we do is we have this influx of people who are hunting the archery season we have um you know more deer getting shot we have uh, let's just assume that because of more uh more and i'm, I'm pretty much playing devil's advocate here uh more more hunters equals more deer taken equals uh, a lower age class of animal equals uh, a less, uh, how do I say this? 
a, a, a negative experience for the hunters who have already been hunting because the age class has been de- de- uh, decreased, which now I'm starting, and, and I'm just being honest here, now I'm starting to talk out of the other side of my mouth because I said the root co- earlier, I said the root cause analysis is big deer, right? Do you think any of these any of these things would even matter? What weapon it was, what um, uh, what seasons, what the tag allocations are, non-residents versus residents. Do you think any of this would matter if a white-tailed buck only grew to 100 inches or 110 inches and that was the max they ever grew? And I'll tell you, you interviewed a guy from Ohio, shot a 180-some-inch deer, mm-hmm. Right. We're talk we started the show talking about a guy who's potentially pushing a national record mm-hmm. uh deer deer. Mm-hmm. I know Lee from Seek One shot a two hundred and some inch double drop pine crazy ass deer earlier this year. And we've had crossbows for twenty years. Yeah. Like there are big deer here even after having the crossbow. So you can say that this influx and stuff has reduced and yeah, there's still a lot of dinks out there shot. Um there's other, just like turkey hunting and, and predator control, everybody wants to go after the predators. Well, there's other things too, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you can't just go after crossbows that cause deer to go one way or the other. We've had them for 20 years or something. Um, we still got big deer. Yeah. And so I'm going to kick back again, and I'm going to say uh, those those examples that you, you gave are rarities, okay? The guy that shot the big buck from Ohio – on my property, or on uh, on that property, the double drop time buck, big deer, um, that was 160 acres where he was the only hunter on it. He's the only hunter on it, okay? Uh, uh, Lee from Seek One, he's a rarity, okay? He he does this for a living. He, he, find, he has help find, don't, like this guy goes and, goes to all these big cities into the suburbs and then he finds these giant deer. Like I'm I'm positive he puts in a lot of work, but I'm also positive that he gets a lot of help from people as well to find these deer and who are just like, "Hey, why don't you come to X big city in the suburbs? I found this giant. Why don't you come shoot him?" Right? So he gets I'm I'm assuming he gets help there. And so I just don't think that the, that represents the average of the, the weekend warriors, the people who are hunting, you know, who only can hunt weekends because of their jobs or because of their, their family responsibilities. But that's just, again, that's my opinion. And so that this might be a, a, a let's agree to disagree type, type conversation. You know what I mean? I think we have big deer here. Yeah. And I could probably go find you a, a bunch of other examples of guys that, and they maybe they're not Iowa big, right? That's that, dude. That is what it is, dude. I'm but like, you, here, let me let me say that first. One second, sorry to interrupt. To me, a big deer is is one forty and over. We got plenty of them. Yeah, you know. And we, but if you want to talk about why you have big deer, you know, is it food source? Is it Cover. the soil? Right. Yep. Cover you know habitat there's a lot of reasons why that deer that lee shot i know i know exactly where he shot it Mm -hmm. okay that is not a standard area it's just it it had good cover and lots of bird feeders Mm -hmm. right so he's i mean we could say well dan 
maybe over in Pennsylvania, their deer aren't as big because they don't have as many bird feeders. <laughs> I mean, you can make stupid correlations, I know. right? I know. I know. Um, but there's, you know, the, the food, water, shelter idea is, is key. I think that you need, there, there's just, there's a lot to managing a herd. I give all of our DNR um, groups a lot of, you know, props for that because right. it's, it's tough. Biology is, you, know, you fight against Mother Nature, she's always going to win. Mm-hmm. That, and that's something in my real world, doesn't matter what happens, if, the, if it doesn't rain, your grass isn't going to grow. Right. But then you also have the general public, and we talked about poachers and stuff earlier. They can screw this up just as much as a crossbow can. Yeah. And I think that they, these guys are trying to make the rules and stuff based on the science as best as possible. Um here, I'll give you an example of, of science and, and rules that don't go together. We're up in Drummond Island, man. There are doe feeding on the side of the road all hours of the day. Okay, They give 1,000 tags, lottery style. I don't know what it is for residents. I don't know if they play into that game too. 1,000 tags a year. Last year, 22 of those tags were, were used. This year, after the first day of the season, of gun season, November 15th, there were like 59 antler deer harvested and two antlerless. The two antlerless came from our camp mm-hmm. because we're out of staters and they're trying to get meat. Um, they don't shoot the does up there. And it has, in my opinion, screwed up the balance of that island so bad. You don't see big bucks. Mm-hmm. I had to get deep into a swamp. I mean, way the hell back in there. There's wolves on a trail cam. That's another thing. Predators, right? But like to find a buck that was legal and uh i got lucky but at the same time you just don't see him moving around because they don't have to because there's does everywhere because these guys are old school and they think oh if i have does i'll have more deer and blah 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 blah, blah. so th- there's so much that goes into this biology the science behind um how to regulate a herd in my opinion i'm just not sure the crossbows are the you know would have would have as much of, of an problem. impact. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, a lot of stuff. This is a good conversation and, and to be honest with you, this is what more conversations more people need to be having with themselves. Uh conversations that they need to have with their buddies, they need to have with the their county conservation commissions, their uh state agencies, things like that. I, I know these conversations happen I uh around the the states you know there there's always uh, conservation meetings there's always uh there's a couple meetings every year that the department of natural resources puts out where they invite people to come and and talk about uh what it is that they they have concerns about and so um i i strongly suggest going and attending some of those meetings and just becoming informed yeah the, the one last thing I, I want to bring up, and uh, I think that we all have to be careful on this one, whether we want to admit it or not. Do you know what the, the wound rate is on archery? I know that it is higher than, um, higher than guns. Okay. So I have a customer okay, that I work with. Um, in my job, I have to be very uh, – I'm always very careful on what I talk about. This customer happens to be – very much anti-gun, very much kind of anti-hunting type of thing, more animal rights. You know where I'm going. Yep. However, he knows I like to hunt, 
uh, he will talk to me about it. Uh, and he is first and foremost anti-gun. So his thing is always, why do we have to use a gun? Just use a bow. Well, I think if he actually knew how many deer get wounded off of archery equipment in general, compounds, crossbows, trabow, whatever, he'd probably be pretty anti-archery. So before we open that can of worms, like, remember that we have to be, uh, there are potentially holes in any of our arguments, so we have to be very sound on that. Um, and I think if you were to like look at this from an ethical standpoint a gun is the most ethical way right a well a well-placed shot on any deer is, is 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 right but a proper caliber and a good shot on a deer with a gun is the most lethal ethical way to go about it so if, if we start if that uh, argument comes up they could outlaw archery in general completely now will that happen no because we have such a massive deer herd that has to be managed that they're going to take that and the insurance companies don't want you hitting them and all this other, whatever but like there's just a lot there yeah. right yeah yeah a lot of layers to that old onion well uh yesterday driving down the road my uh my windshield got cracked on one of our vehicles and uh there's a, a, a car coming the opposite way kicked up uh something i'm guessing a rock cracked the windshield and so now i have to leave to go get that fixed today and uh and then i'm gonna try to go side in a muzzle loader uh, i i might not be able to go late season this year at all because of some things that are happening in the uh, uh happening next week that i didn't know about until last night so <laughs> Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, dude, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on. Uh, thank you for, you know, you and Paul and, and the effort you guys put into your podcast. You guys do a great job and uh, good luck in 2024, man. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. You get out. Good luck. So. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, episode number one of 2024 in the books. Huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, Vortex, Code Blue, Woodman's Pal, Huntworth, and Full Sneak Gear. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And if you have time, please go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts at and give the Nine Finger Chronicles and the Sportsman's Empire a five-star review. I would really appreciate it. Other than that, man, it's all about good vibes in 2024. We're making changes. We're doing good things. We're going to be positive, and uh, I'm excited to see where this year goes. So good vibes in, good vibes out, and we will talk to you next time.